0: Mercy King, mercy! He's screaming! Right as T'Challa brandishes his Panther clothes to exact justice on Claw for the stolen vibranium and the lies he took. We hear T'Challa say, every breath you take from me is mercy. Right before he's about to deliver this finishing blow, though, we see Princess Nakia and General Okoye step upon a scene to remind T'Challa that the world is watching. So a crowd has gathered up, they got their phones out, they're like, world star, you feel me? And they want to know what will happen next. Will this villain, Claw get what he deserves? Or will he receive mercy to live longer? And as we approach our message for today, we're in the same position as Claude was in. When we cry out to God for mercy, for wrongs we have committed, do we imagine God as the vengeful black panther? Only hesitating to punish us because of how it would look to others. We often respond in two ways to God's mercy, right? We either continue to rebel like claw to test how far God's mercy will go, or we keep doing things to earn mercy, right? We keep doing things to earn mercy while secretly believing God is waiting for that moment to say, Every breath you take from me is mercy, like God is waiting for the right moment to just get revenge. How should we respond to god's mercy now I'm not going to hold you too long this morning. you feel me you know that's not my style. I usually try to keep it, keep keep it smooth, you feel me, but we're going to examine what it means that God had. Mercy. Somebody say, God had mercy. God had mercy. mercy. Yep. So by the end of this message, you will know exactly how to respond to God's mercy. The mercy of God. Now recently we wrapped up in the book, it acts with the main character, Paul. Y'all remember Paul? Not Paul Brown. Paul <laughs> the Apostle. Paul is preaching and teaching. Shout out to Paul Brown, too, on the sound. You know he hold it down. Yeah, hand clap for that. But this character, Paul, he's preaching and teaching while awaiting his sentence in prison. And now we're going to understand the proper response to God's mercy by looking at a letter he wrote to the church, but specifically about one of his key partners, Epaphroditus. Somebody say Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, yeah, nobody here named Epaphroditus, is you? Man? Maybe some baby names, I don't know. I'm going to put it on the list. Um, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Shout out to David on the slides too, man, you're killing it. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in service to me. That's crazy. So God had mercy. It's interesting Paul responds in that way. And we got to take into account that Epaphroditus, as a character, he's the guy delivering this letter to the church in Philippi, which we often don't get as much spotlight on these type of characters that are presenting the messages. But he went to bring Paul the gifts of Philippians sent because, you know what I'm saying? I mean, no, it wasn't no online giving back then. I should praise God we got online giving, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't no cash app. You feel me? Praise God for technology that also lets you know when your payments are sent and they leave the account. Because they sent this out but they needed somebody to confirm that he got the gifts. Confirmation email. Save your life with the receipts. But as Paul is writing to this church, this is the first one in Europe. It's, It's made up of Gentiles and his aim is to bring... That encouragement, but also, like I say, is to confirm that he received the gift. And here, we see a scope into the messenger that sent them, right? Being honest also about Epaphroditus' emotions and his well-being. His physical health is involved in ministry. His emotions are involved in ministry. And we see from the language in verse 26 this reality that Epaphroditus, he was longing to see them in distress because of the illness they heard of. And it's amplified by the fact in verse 27 that he was ill near to death. This can be hard to grasp sometimes because the distance we have, once again, from this time period. So if, if you're tripping and you're feeling kind of sick, it wasn't no minute clinic. It wasn't no Med Express. You feel me? There wasn't no way to know all the time how to treat infections or how to prevent them from getting worse. So when somebody got really sick, it was common to assume death. Death was way more common of a denominator when it came to sickness rather than result of recovery and healing. So when the Philippians heard about this illness... They could have naturally assumed the worst. The type of level to where early, I know it's hard to think back to that, but early when it was COVID, we assumed, and it's still COVID, don't get me wrong, but when we didn't know all the particulars, it was natural to assume the worst. And this is the same way for this church back then. They're assuming the worst. And on top of that, Epaphroditus on his journey to bring these things, it was a long distance. So he would have limited access to medical care, to supplies, to doctors, and he was on a mission. So you know how we do, just for reference, this is the route to Philippi to Rome, if you can put that on the screen for me. Bam! So we got <laughs> we got Philippi over here, but then we got a whole little sea right there, and then we got Rome all the way over there. Not me, you got Rome all the way over there. So if if yeah if it was if he went that route that'd be stupid long, but if he went directly he still had to cross the sea. So hearing that you get sick on a journey like that, that's actually you see we got the scripture carried by paraphrased to the Christian. It's kind of covered up. I don't know what happened, but you can see it was estimated to be about seven hundred miles, depending on what he the route he was taking. To up to a thousand miles. And this could be close to three months' journey at most. So just going there too. And then coming back half a year just to get this, get his payments. Have you can you imagine when we it take that long to get our payments? Be calling somebody. Taxes. I get mad with my I just got my refund check. Can y'all believe that? But to say the least, Paul was right to label Epaphroditus as a bona fide soldier, right? The phrase in verse 27 is most intriguing in this part, Philippians 1, 27. Then you honor me, I appreciate it. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But what does it say? But God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. Now, mercy and grace are interesting concepts. And the fact that mercy is described as God's course of action toward Epaphroditus and Paul should make us stop for a moment. Like, mercy, best described as not getting what is deserved. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is when a deep need is met that doesn't have to be. So for Paul to align God's action as mercy here is somewhat concerning, don't you think? Because if we think of Paul out of anybody, didn't he deserve goodness after all the things he done went through? Consider this, Paul, he he done faithfully preached the gospel. He been in prison. He'd been falsely accused. He'd been unjustly beaten. We learn all this from Acts. He almost lost a close friend. How is Paul able to say God had mercy on him? And then we consider Epaphroditus too, right? He traveled about half a year, three or so months to get to Paul, three more to get back to the Philippians almost died risking his life to serve Christ. How is mercy attributed to God's action? Do they not deserve some type of life and reward for their faithfulness on this life? I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I ain't never been in jail for the faith, you feel me? I almost died from sickness from serving Christ. But when I do experience suffering or discomfort, my first thought isn't always, God had mercy. I usually expect God to have mercy by calling upon things that I have done. How can we understand mercy like Paul does in this situation? By looking at the words of Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. 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 Matthew 9, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, not the IRS, follow me. (laughs) And he rose and followed him, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, oh, here we go. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire Mercy, and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is making clear here that he doesn't want people that have everything to offer him. The good deeds of the Pharisees are those that follow the rules or were really good. Instead, his heart God's desire, what he beats for was mercy, not for anything people could sacrifice for him. He repeated this thing later on once again in Matthew, when once again these Pharisees, these rule followers, were calling him out for the Sabbath day in Matthew 12, 1 through 7. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples was hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat. nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law? How on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Right? So his homies, they was hungry. And they were big mad. Because they received a mercy through food, which actually is what the Sabbath was intended for, was rest and restoration of needs. Instead of putting a crushing burden on them to sacrifice, Jesus once again repeats his desire. His desire is to bring mercy to those that can't handle the full weight of the law. And spoiler alert. No one can handle the full weight of the law. I don't know if y'all knew this. I done tried. (laughs) So Jesus is confirming he wants to show mercy rather than force people to sacrifice and do more things to make up for the inability to follow the law. But we have a problem. Once again, when you think about God's mercy, it, it trips us up a lot and it comes Straight from Paul in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So it seems like Paul is saying sacrifice is, sacrifice is what God does want after all. So what is it? Do you want mercy or you want sacrifice? Like God, what do you want? And I think this is the tension that we are left with and end up on an endless treadmill seeking to make sacrifice after sacrifice in the name of our faith, believing it will earn us God's mercy. Because clearly, sacrifice is still acceptable to God. So we sacrifice... Time on Sundays at a base level, right? Believing God will remember us showing up for services where we didn't really enjoy the worship. Or maybe we didn't enjoy the preaching. Hopefully not for my messages, right? (laughs) Or we sacrifice time in a small group or ministry when deep down we just itching to binge on our latest show. No cat while prepping this message, I was dying. To binge the circle. I don't know if y'all know it's this one, just <laughs> one series on Netflix. I even watched Black Panther, which is why y'all got the reference to T'Challa. Because it was hard to sacrifice to really zero in. Or oh, we sacrifice time in the morning or night for a quick prayer or devotional at times believing, secretly believing starting the day that way will prevent any harm or suffering from occurring. God will show mercy because I did this, right? We, we, we enter positions, we get titles, we become staff members, right? We become deacons, mercy ministers, small group leaders, elders, churchgoers, missionaries, prayer warriors, all that, an endless pit of sacrifice, secretly believing God is waiting for the chance to yell at us and say, every breath you take is mercy from me. But not only that, it translates into our human relationships. We can approach our friendships believing sacrifices for things that we don't really want to do will lead to our needs being met. I know that even from my relationship, you feel me? With my fiance, I can make decisions believing sacrifices. And compromises will lead to mercy for my own needs. And then we approach our family this way, right? We approach family this way where if I make enough sacrifices, they are going to hear my perspective. They're, they are going to serve my needs and give me mercy. We approach work and school that way. That If only I keep on sacrificing over and over I will surely receive and earn mercy. But the truth is, human mercy never satisfies need. Human mercy can only lead to deeper need. God's mercy. Somebody say, God's mercy. God's mercy. God's mercy is complete. And actually the basis for our relationship with him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 shows this clearly. I love Paul. What does verse 10 say? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Verse 10 is saying, it's, it's not our life, it's not our life that saved us, but Jesus' life that saved us. We went from enemies to friends. Based upon what God did or chose to do. The issue is that over time, it's easy to become convinced that it is Our life that saved us is by our life we will be reconciled. Our death, we will be reconciled. But Paul and Epaphroditus didn't take such a stance towards God. In their deep hour of need, when God came through, it wasn't an expectation It was mercy because the actual result that Paul and Epaphroditus and anyone who is an enemy of God deserves was death. What is earned from sin itself is death. In Romans 6.23, we know this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is earned from sin will always be death. And this really has never changed because God never changes. The reason sin and wrongdoing cost so much is because the person offended is perfect. God is high above all and is the only one that never has and never will be in need of mercy. So when God shows mercy, he is the only one able to fully set free those who receive his mercy. And that's because it is paid for with Jesus's life, not our life. Over time, we can convince ourselves it is our life and our skill and our work and our talent, our insight has earned us God's mercy. But the truth is. We still don't deserve the mercy of God. This kind of mercy of God is actually more freedom than our versions of give and take mercy. He chooses to have mercy when he will. And we know this also from Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. But get this, God's posture is a desire for mercy. But he's not controlled by it. God still has boundaries with people. And when God's boundaries are violated, his wrath can be provoked. When God's perfect character works and word are assaulted, he has the right to wrath. But we still know God's biggest enjoyment isn't in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 18, 23. I don't think I have that on the screen, so don't worry. But rather that they turn and live. But his biggest delight and happiness, what gets God excited, is how can I show mercy? This frees us because we realize we don't have to meet every need and solve every problem. And we can still choose to have mercy in situations and others not. But our overall posture must reflect that of God's mercy shown toward us. Paul Epaphroditus understood this. And this is why even after all they had done in service of Christ, they could still look and say it was mercy from God to spare Paul sorrow and not leave Epaphroditus to die from sickness. But the question can still linger. If there is nothing we can do to earn God's mercy, should we sacrifice or not? I love the way that the NIV actually puts the Roman 12, 1 verse, because I think it gives us a better phrasing to understand how to respond to God's mercy. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view... Of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship in view of God's mercies. This is the crucial aspect of responding to God's mercy, is keeping the plural, multiple amount of God's mercy in view. The work we do, sacrifices we make, has to begin with the vision and sight of God's multiple mercies. As the prophet Jeremiah, in the middle of Lamentations, writes, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The goal is to find those new mercies every morning that the Lord gives and fight to make him our true portion in need each day. Understanding that God delights, he desires in mercy towards us. Easier said than done though, right? But a portion literally means a meal. So there has to be a hunger that we are sensitive to that leads us to sacrifice all for the sake of that need. Like, I can't go a day without keeping the mercies of God in view. God is greater than any other desire that we have. Romans 12:1 solidifies those words of Jesus that he desires for mercy, right? And mercy leads to more mercy, the sacrifice that's leading to mercy. But it's never the other way around. You don't sacrifice to get mercy. You sacrifice because of mercy. This is why Jesus proclaimed that blessed are the merciful, right? because they will receive mercy. Mercy always leads to more mercy, seeking to meet needs and solve problems. And this is why when we jump back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 26, we zero in on Epaphroditus' life. We see with these fresh eyes that Epaphroditus, he was ultimately on a mercy mission. Although he set out with the intent to bring a gift and meet the need of Paul to show mercy to him, he didn't escape the hard work of making a long and difficult journey, did he? He didn't escape sickness and almost dying. He didn't escape the feelings of emotional distress and longing for the Philippians. Like the mercy of God doesn't doesn't place us above us feeling our emotions and our feelings. Sometimes over time we believe we have earned God's mercy to prevent any form of suffering especially when we are seeking to meet needs and present his mercy in tangible ways. But that simply is not the case of faith in any of the followers. The way of Jesus will lead to suffering. But when we look at Epaphroditus' profile, right, his character layout, there are three characteristics that teach us how to respond to God's mercy. And when we work backwards from verse 26, we see the foundation of God's mercy and all those who want to be messengers and ministers of that mercy should have these three characteristics being developed. What are these three characteristics? First, we see Paul call him brother. Right? He's relationally invested and emotionally available in his pursuits. And we see this because the scripture says he experiences distress. His, this ability to be emotionally intelligent is crucial because we see Paul all throughout this passage has emotions. He mentions to send Epaphroditus for Paul himself to be less anxious. And Paul mentions he's going to still have sorrow. He said the mercy saved him from sorrow upon sorrow, but there was still sorrow there. For some reason, we can tend to believe it's holier to act emotionally dead, to suppress grief. But this actually is not a part of the image of God and denies how God feels things very deeply. Second, we see Epaphroditus is described as a fellow worker. And now we know for sure that Epaphroditus was no stranger to work. If he endured a half-year-long journey, if he almost died from sickness for one mercy mission, work was definitely required. His worth wasn't non-existent. And he wasn't lazy when it came to fulfilling responsibilities and tasks. He saw it as a blessing, a dope opportunity to be involved in the work of God, as a mercy and be involved in it. And then lastly, we see that Paul describes Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. And Paul often describes in his writings their spiritual warfare that takes place in the kingdom. Epaphroditus was no different. And his risking of his life shows he was more spiritually focused than earthly focused, ultimately. And that required disciplining himself for a kingdom belief and mindset that this life was not all there was to risk your life in service for Christ. I'm sure he might have had hopes and dreams to make it back to the Philippians. So when we look at these three attributes of Epaphroditus, there's three questions that are answered to responding to God's mercy. And they all must begin with the view of God's mercy. The first question is, how will I show God's mercy in my relationships? So rather than seeking all our needs to be met, mercy means seeking the needs of others. So instead of asking for deeper relationships with people, ask instead, who can I be a brother or sister to first? Who really needs to be emotionally Available, Somebody that's emotionally available. Who do I have enough sensitivity to my emotions to be that person? Like I mentioned before, God, he doesn't require us to show mercy at all times because he doesn't even do that. We can have boundaries with people in our relationships because, right, he has his own with his holiness and his name will not be mine. So we know that we can do the same with people. But is our overall posture toward human relationships with others to measure how much they sacrifice for us before we choose to show them mercy? So we can take some time to answer this first question. How will I give mercy in my relationships this week? How will I meet someone's need for an emotional collection or relational presence? I need another moment? How will I show God's mercy in my relationships this week? Now the next question is How will I show God's mercy in my work? As a worker, we saw, rather than than punching in the clock, counting down the hours until you leave, I know I've done this before, right? Or taking every chance you get to immerse yourself in other distractions, how can you seek to solve problems in your work? How can you seek development and skill professionally and help those that work with you with problems they may have rather than expect others to sacrifice for your advancement or your schedule? Is there a conflict that you can help resolve customers that you can treat with kindness? Or if you're riding out the school year preparing for the next one, what, what work, what mercy could be done in preparation for that? So, going take some time to answer how Could I show God's mercy in my work this week? And the last question is How will I show God's mercy in my walk this week? Soldiers, like Epaphroditus was described of, maintain certain disciplines to keep them focused on the war and choosing and picking battles. And the same is true for us in discipline and obedience. What are some spiritual disciplines and focuses this week that God may be calling you to go deeper with, to look outside of your earthly situation? Is there suffering you've been going through that has caused you to disbelieve in God's goodness and mercy? In these battles, conflicts, or discomforts you've been wrestling with, have you asked God for help to fight to make decisions that show his mercy and glory? And what commands from God as your general in battle do you need to respond in obedience to? Take some time to answer, how will I show God's mercy in my walk this week? How can we trust God's mercy in my walk this week? Job chapter 34, verses 14 through 15 reads, If he really wanted to, he could hold back his spirit and breath. Then everyone would die together. They would return to the dust. The reality is, every breath we take is mercy from God. But unlike King T'Challa, God wants us to have that mercy of new breath every morning. And if you're not trusting in Jesus today, know that the breath of life isn't guaranteed today or tomorrow. But as long as it is called today, you can turn to the mercy of God and trust that he's given you an opportunity through his sacrifice over the sacrifices that you could ever make. And if you're walking with Jesus today, this is a fresh chance to trust in Jesus' sacrifice over the ones that you can make. They will never be enough, but he offers you his life today. In his mercy. Let's pray. Um, God, I just. I ask that. You would bless the people in here. That you would allow them. To see. It's your mercy that sustains. It's your mercy. That gives the most freedom. It's not our own sacrifices it's not other sacrifices they can make for us it's not other people's mercy that they could give us even but our deepest need is for you is for you to show us your mercy and that in turn will allow us to be merciful to others This week, this month, this year, in this lifetime, starting with the foundation that God had mercy. Would you allow us to not move away from that sight? Would you keep our vision fixed on your mercy before the busyness of our schedules, of our agendas? everything else that want to take us away from you. I pray these in Jesus' name.